This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. My name is John, and I'm a local linguist for Zabul Provincial Concession Team. In layman's terms, John's job is a translator, and he worked for the U.S. military in Afghanistan. And here's the reason why he's on this program. The Taliban has killed more than 300 people who helped the U.S. during the war in Afghanistan. Tens of thousands have been waiting for years for special visas to come to the U.S., but time may be running out for them. We know from the last State Department report there are 18,000 applicants. James Mirvaldis is a U.S. military veteran and board chair of No One Left Behind, an all-volunteer organization working to get Afghans who helped the U.S. during the war and their families out of Afghanistan before the Taliban can get to them. They are being hunted. And 18,000 is only a small part of the real number. Well, that number does not include family members. So the 18,000 number? Multiply by four, you get around 70, 75,000 people. Bureaucracy is the reason for the delay. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. I want you to listen to something in just a moment. But first, I want to set it up for you. Afghanistan. That has been the scene of a war between the U.S. and the Taliban for more than two decades. But that landscape there has been the center of war for much longer than that. You can go back to the 1800s in Afghanistan and find a place that's called, in history books, the Graveyard of Empires. So a lot was at stake with this war the U.S. was involved in. And in order for the U.S. to make a go of it, they needed some help. They needed people on the ground who could help them. Contractors, interpreters, spies, guides for trails. They needed a lot of things. And some people stepped up to help the U.S. And so what I want you to listen to is one of those people who stepped up. This is from an interview that I did while on a military embed in Afghanistan in 2009. Okay, let me start by getting you to give me your name, your job title, and uh, who you work for. My name is John, and I'm a local linguist for Zabul Provincial Concession Team. Okay, John... um, did you grow up in this neighborhood, in this area? Yes, sir. I grew up in South, in this vicinity, or in this, in the province of Kandahar. So, um, how did you get involved in uh, working as a translator or a linguist? Well, they have like certain organization that they announced that they need an interpreter, and I was interested on that position. And then I put my petition, and then they called me after the interview. They hired me. 
Why do you do it? First, I'm interested, you know, to help and support my country, my family, and improve the language and learn new skills and new things. There is danger, though, no? Of course, it is dangerous. It is full of challenges, but still, uh, since I was interested in this thing, since I was interested in this career, so that's why I liked it to start or work in this area. What are some of the toughest parts of the job? Uh, some of the most challenging parts. The most challenging part in this job is you see that there is some intimidation threats. Those are the most, you know, problematic part of this job. Rather than that, that 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 would be pretty much it. What's the best part? Best part is that you are helping out your people, having fun with them, talking to them. And that's the best part. I see the big smile that comes to your face when I ask you that question. <laughs> yeah, because it's, uh, you know, when when you are talking to people, it's a very good thing when you are helping them. So that's a good thing. So, how do you plan to do this, or do you plan to move up and do something else? Um, what are your career plans? Yeah, for the time being, I would like to work in this field. And then later on, of course, we are trying to improve our skill and get a good job or help with the best quality. That's my plan. Is so as you know, the United States and the NATO uh, alliance are planning a an increase in the troops, and the war will probably intensify starting in the spring after the thaw. Um, what kind of reaction have people, the local people who live here? Uh, what kind of reaction have they given to that? Any? So far, that we talk to the people, they they are optimistic. Uh, they are willing to have more troop here because more troop will provide more security. Since we have limited of troop here in ground, I mean in the area, there is lots of enemies activities. If we get more troops, if we get more support and more supply, so of course they will get rid of all those Taliban, and finally one day Afghanistan will be prosperous and Afghanistan will be stable. So, how do they feel about the uh, the government, the Karzai government? Well, everybody has their own opinion. Most of the people are optimistic. Most of the people like Karzai. They voted for Karzai. And of course, you know the time is kind of a little bit of rough. There's lots of challenges. We had a 30, 35 years war in Afghanistan. For that very reason, it's gonna, it's going to take some time. You know to build again Afghanistan. So is there anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important as people back at home we try to we try to tell them about Afghanistan and um, about um, this whole mission? First of all I would like to say hi and you know tell my greeting to everybody that I work for and everybody that is listening to this message. The thing is that we are requesting more support, more aid, because Afghanistan is vulnerable, their people are poor, so if we get more support, more help, and we are optimistic, we are hopeful that one day Afghanistan will be prosperous and, and stable. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <coughs> right now, John and people like John are in great peril, because as the U.S. leaves Afghanistan, the Taliban is systematically hunting them down and killing them. 
I don't know what happened to John. I communicated with him for a little while after I returned to the U.S. from Afghanistan, but then I lost contact, so I'm not sure what his situation is. What you're about to hear next is some context to how I met John, what he was doing, and what I was doing while we were in Afghanistan. I want to give you who may not remember, and those of you who may never have known, a glimpse at just how dangerous it was in Afghanistan and still is, even as the U.S. leaves and leaves behind these contractors and interpreters. All right, when we leave out of here, it's our last leave. You and you two guys, you'll be up front. It's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon here at Forward Operating Base SMART in southern Afghanistan. U.S. military personnel are being briefed for a foot patrol in the streets of Kalat. I've been invited to come along. All right, as we're walking out there, make sure you keep a safe distance between each other, which is five meters. Keep a five-meter interval. Everyone here is armed with a nine-millimeter and a, a semi-automatic long-gun weapon, except me and three interpreters. The interpreters have covered their faces to avoid being identified. I've been strongly reminded this is a dangerous mission, and contact with the enemy is possible. All right, in case of contact, my cover concealment, all right, return fire. The team leader warns the members of the unit through some choice language that if the enemy does fire upon us, do not take any unnecessary risks. And uh, I'll make a decision on the ground as to whether we exfil back here, whether we uh, go inside a compound and hunker down, or uh, rush the enemy. Most likely we'll not be rushing the enemy. We're not fucking rambling. As we head out the gate, the briefing sinks in, and I'm reminded why I'm here. It was an invitation from the Air Force to accompany them on a mission that originated from Andrews Air Force Base to Afghanistan to observe their efforts in the heart of hostile territory to prevent friendly fire incidents. Falcon View has been huge for us. Captain Travis Gramikowski is an intelligence officer for the Provincial Reconstruction Team in the Zabul province. I mean, it's, it's an entirely new capability. It's given us... Uh, new mission with this mapping project and really will help us get a better understanding of how we need to develop this city. It's helping not only the tactical but also the strategic perspective. Not only is Falcon View good for calling in airstrikes, but it's good for guiding convoys. In one occasion, we were going out to a place we'd never been before and we didn't know where the road was, so we were able to use Falcon View imagery to plot a flat area of terrain. Turned out to be a goat track, but it worked for our, uh, our vehicles. Chocolate. Chocolate. Hello. That's another reason why airstrike accuracy is imperative out here. The innocent children that chase you down the street, holding your hand, asking for toys and for sweets. That was then, 2009. This is now, 2021. The U.S. is drawing down its forces in Afghanistan, and the people who've worked with the U.S. in Afghanistan are in limbo, because many of them are waiting on special visas that were promised to them that would allow them to leave Afghanistan and come to the U.S. 18,000 are officially on record as petitioning for visas, but you need to multiply that 
by more than just that number because that just represents the one person who's put in the petition. That doesn't say anything else about anything or anyone connected to him. This is a messy situation and it's hard to understand why it's happening and how it's happening. So in order to gain some understanding of this, we spoke with James Mirvaldis. He's a U.S. military veteran and he's also the board chair of No One Left Behind. We've been hearing a lot recently about Afghanistan and, of course, the U.S. drawdown in Afghanistan and they're bringing all the equipment and all the troops home and they're going to be out pretty soon. But there, there, there are their partners who were there. A lot of people who did uh, some very difficult and important work for the U.S. military and NATO uh, who are Afghans are being left behind. Give us some brief background and then I've got a couple of questions I'd like to ask you. Sure. Uh, actually, so I got involved with this organization when I worked to bring over my Afghan interpreter. Uh, I deployed uh, in, with the Army. Um, I was in Iraq in 2008, 2009, where I worked with interpreters there. And then I went to uh, Afghanistan in 2011, 2012. That's where I met uh, my interpreter, Khalid, um, mm -hmm. just an incredible partner, uh, much more than just a, a lingual a linguist translator. Uh, he was a cultural advisor, uh, a mentor. Um, he really uh, was the reason for our success um, in our specific mission. And long story short, I came back to the United States in 2012, uh, started helping him with his special immigrant visa, or what we'll talk about as the SIV application. Yep. Um, and that's meant, it was meant to be a streamlined process for uh, those individuals who stood shoulder to shoulder with uh, United States forces in the global war on terrorism. I'll give yep. you a little bit more history after that. But long story short, Khalid had a certificate of appreciation from, at the time, U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan, James Cunningham. He had six polygraphs to get on the base that he, all, he passed. So I'm thinking that this guy should just breeze right through the 14-step process. Uh, and for your uh, listeners and readers, JJ, um, if they want to know more about the 14-step process, there's a 2014 episode by the one and only John Oliver dedicated to this, uh, the, the bureaucratic morass that this process was, again, uh, okay. in 2014, uh, and it's only gotten worse. So. Yeah. Uh, luckily for us, um, I worked with uh, No One Left Behind. I learned how to reach out to members of Congress and Senator Kane's office from here in Virginia was just wonderful. They okay. followed up with the State Department uh, every day, or sorry, every 90 days for about a year until Holland's case broke loose and he, he got here successfully with his family in 2016. Okay. Sadly, that's a standard case um, okay. where it okay. takes about three and a half years to navigate the process. Okay, and that's that's that is sad because it's only supposed to take about nine months. I understand at the max. Let me ask you a few questions. Uh, you know, <clears throat> um, I've been embedded before on several occasions with the military and have been to Afghanistan three times, mm -hmm. and um, recall being in Kalat, down in Zabul province, uh, with some uh, folks from the Army, Air Force, etc and NATO and um, these interpreters and these, these, these partners from Afghanistan were just absolutely brilliant and very, very helpful. Give us briefly some idea how many of these folks there are out there that need these visas that were helpful, um, that are sort of standing in uh, just waiting. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, numbers are important. So when this program was started, initially first in Iraq, and then expanded to Afghanistan, it was only supposed to be 50 visas per year. But based on the need, um, and especially in Afghanistan, 
since 2009, it's been uh, the Congress has appropriated roughly 4,000 visas, give or take. Sometimes it's a little bit less. This year, we're asking for a lot more. Um, at the height of 2011, there were, according to the Congressional Research Service, approximately 50,000 uh, contractors providing interpreter and translation abilities to our military uh, in both theaters. So think about that. So that's about 25,000 employed um, personnel just in Afghanistan alone, which brings us to today. So we know from the last State Department report, there are 18,000 applicants. And it's very critical for, for you uh, and your uh, listeners, JJ, to know that number one, um, the SIV process, that's a special immigrant visa process, by law does not fall under the refugee cap. They're com it's completely separate. Um, so that's good. So you hear all these you know, conversations about the refugee cap. It doesn't apply to uh, military interpreters. Um, with that, the second point I wanna make is that the, uh, a visa, one visa accounts for the primary applicant. So it does not include, or that number does not include family members. So when I say there's 18,000 applicants currently waiting for the embassy and the State Department to process their visa applications, that really, you know, multiplied by four, you get around 70, 75,000 people once you include uh, family members who are kind of in limbo and have been in this weird gray area for many, many years. Well, and that is indeed a sad situation and something that needs to be addressed. So um, just if you would drill down on what exactly, briefly, what exactly is the holdup? Yeah. So again, 14 step process uh, the visas bounce between ready. For, I'll do this quickly. Uh, Kabul to D.C., D.C. to Nebraska, Nebraska to the National Visa Center, uh, back to the applicant, back to the embassy, blah, blah, blah. It's uh, it's a very cumbersome uh, paper-based time-intensive process where there are redundant security screenings. Um, as mentioned, my interpreter had uh, base access and he'd been polygraphed. That, uh, that information set is not used by the State Department. That's a DOD data set, same with the biometrics. And up until recently, we just learned that the DOD was sharing now sharing their biometrics. So uh, the burden of proof is on the applicant to provide a letter of recommendation from their U.S. supervisor and a verification letter of employment from their employer. The reality is that many of, and JJ, as, as you noted, you know, being overseas, maybe you had interpreters that were working directly with you. They're now reaching out to you years later saying, sir, I, I need a letter of recommendation. Do you remember me? Or trying to find you. A perfect example of how just, um, what a mess this is, is uh, most of the military over the last 20 years had a very standardized email right? First dot middle initial, that last name at say army.mil. The DOD migrated everyone over to enterprise email, which has a different nomenclature. So now all these Afghans are reaching out to their contacts, but with the wrong email. So we're telling people to go, uh, these applicants to look on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, and sadly, th there's only so much they can do unless a U.S. supervisor vouches for their quote unquote faithful and valuable service. And as right now, they have to spend they have to provide two years of that to qualify for a visa. OK, um, the question I was going to ask you is, what's the answer? But you've sort of gotten into that already. But I'm, I'm thinking there's more to this. Uh, and you probably have some suggestions for the U.S. government and perhaps the military on how to improve, uh, one, the speed the, uh, of this process 
and also to make clear that people understand why these people desperately need to get out. Yes. Uh, so let's start with that last question first. Um, they're being hunted. Uh, so no one left behind undertook uh, just research on our own because the Department of Defense and the Department of State do not track numbers of casualties or the numbers of um, interpreters hired during all of this. I mean, it really is, it really highlights that our allies were an afterthought for 20 years. And luckily they are now on the front pages, but we're very worried that it might be too late. So um, no one left behind undertook research. We went through six years of emails and the last year of Facebook messages because Facebook cuts you off after that. And we identified over 300 instances. And these are just anecdotes that we've heard from the applicants themselves, from interpreters on the ground in Afghanistan. So we're only talking Afghanistan. Um, 300 instances of family members and interpreters being killed because of their affiliation with the United States. Yeah. Uh, we documented this um, and we've got a spreadsheet. We've got all as much information as we've been provided. We gave that to the State Department Office of Inspector General for their 2020 report to Congress last year. Uh, this is important because a year ago in June, the report came out. It went to the major um, armed services, foreign affairs, judiciary committees in both chambers. And one of the top recommendations was to increase the staff here in DC by 50 people. So we're very happy that Secretary Blinken has taken that step. It only took a year, but at least it's, it's the first of hopefully many steps. Uh, and again, for your listeners, this is a very serious issue. Uh, the big picture um, that broke last week, the Iraqi P2 program has been suspended indefinitely because of massive visa um, fraud. Uh, it, Reuters broke the story and it, the, the investigation was significantly bigger than what um, was initially described by the indictments in January. So there is a very real concern that um, security vetting be done correctly and properly. The SIV process is technically the fastest process for anyone in these high-risk countries to come to the United States. So our effort and our what we're encouraging the Department of State and the Department of Defense to lean in and help the Department of State with is to add more per people. Um, we know there was a surge of um, employees to the embassy earlier this month. Uh, same with, we. and by the way, they were able to do over uh, let's see, 1,600 visas last spring. That report still hasn't come out yet, but Ambassador Wilson did explain this um, in the press, and I think it was NPR um, last week as well. So we know there's progress with more hands on deck. From our perspective as a nonprofit, we are inundated with requests from uh, veterans who are saying, let me help with the investigations. Let me help. Uh, I'm already cleared. Let, let me volunteer. And we haven't gotten that offer yet. So it's a very frustrating dynamic where we, ha we have this surge of interest. We know what's needed. We understand the rules and the, and the mission of why the 14 steps need to be there. We're working with Congress to eliminate some of the steps, um, but we're also racing the clock, JJ, and we're keeping an eye on the, the July 4th NATO withdrawal date and seeing how yeah. that compares to ours. Yeah, um, last thing. Um, while I was there, um, I met a couple of interpreters uh, and um, you know, I communicated with them for a little while and then we sort of lost touch and I have no idea what happened to them. And I would love if I am able to, to be able to do something to help them or any of these other folks that uh, are, 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 you know, in need of someone to verify whatever, not that my vote would count, but I can certainly say I sent you um, a couple of uh, 
Donkey, I sent you a picture and uh, sent you a couple of uh, uh, links to some coverage that I did of the people, well, the time that I was there, not, not the particular people. But, um, you know, this is something that I think a lot of people would like to help with. So um, please let me know how I can help and I can find other people perhaps who can help. Well, thank you, JJ. So right now we're putting the pressure on the Senate. Um, Senator Shaheen has been a wonderful advocate. She, uh, she stood up the Afghan Allies Protection Act with the late Senator McCain back in 2009, and she's been fighting for our allies ever since. So we're in year 12. Um, additionally, uh, JJ, I don't know if your, your listeners uh, like CBS, um, but we have a TV show. It's called The United States of Al, and it's, the main hmm. character is an Afghan translator. Uh, the whole plot is about a Marine resettling his Afghan interpreter in Ohio. And uh, it just got renewed um, for a second season. It's made by the Big Bang Theory team. We've been partnering with them to raise awareness of this. Uh, I, I'm humbled. Um, so I mentioned the veterans reaching out. We've gotten uh, emails and letters from people all over the country who said, we had no idea. How can I adopt a family? Can They can come live with me. I mean, it, it really is very humbling, but ad adoption and, and being a, um, a sponsor is not part of the process. Yeah. So we're trying to give Senator Shaheen as much support as possible. Your listeners can visit www.noonleft.org. Uh, you can tweet and email your senators with a few clicks and learn how you can get more involved. Um, and JJ, though, I just looked at those pictures uh, that I can just, that's the same experience I had. Um, you know, it's, it's a moral obligation. Um, I'll just close on this and let you know, uh, General Petraeus, uh, has a great quote. He, he says, um, you know, in a day and age where we landed a, a rover on Mars in seven months, it's ridiculous that we can't move paper 7,000 miles uh, yeah. <laughs> and help our allies. It's true. It, it is a true thing. So uh, we encourage everyone uh, listening to you uh, to lean in, um, give us, give your voice, keep telling these stories and uh, together we'll keep our moral obligation to our allies. Yeah, and uh, I'll be uh, straight and just uh, close out this way. Um, this is a very, very, very serious situation. Um, and, you know, it's good that uh, we're mobilizing people and alerting people uh, to this situation. It's great that you have the TV show to, you know, push the awareness and that we're doing this podcast. But today, even as we speak, there are people that are cowering in the shadows that are hiding. Their families are at risk. Uh, and they need to be rescued. Uh, and I only say this uh, not because I'm uh, injecting my opinion in this, but only because I covered this and was there and saw this firsthand, how serious the situation is for these folks. So, Mr. Miravaldis, thank you very much for your time and uh, congratulations on everything that you're doing. And hopefully this will all work out for the best sooner than later. Great. Thank you, JJ. We'll keep pushing. And it's uh, a big thank you to you for helping raise awareness and spreading the word. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, it was moving day this week for the National Intelligence University. After 59 years in the Department of Defense, it's now moved to the intelligence community. It is a wonderful thing to make NIU at ODNI the IC's university, and that's our goal in supporting this transition. Some refer to it as the U.S.'s university for spies, but it's much, much more than that, and we'll have the details coming up in our next episode.
But in the meantime, we want to thank everybody for listening to Target USA. If you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green. That's one word at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. And we also ask if you're interested, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, if you're interested in more than just this for your national security news diet, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night! And welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight. This is not your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week, as long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week I'm going to go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on, but that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Now, Stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.